Hello and welcome to another episode of Confessions of a Wee Timorous Bushy. This is your host, Minion, also known as Rob. Since the last few episodes, I've had a few uh, call-ins. So what I'd like to do this time is put them up. They're mostly about the Barrow Mage, Carnage in Barrow Maze um, episode and also my Murder Hobos Need need Not Apply episodes. Um, I probably butchered the titles there, but that gives you enough idea. Anyway, first up is John of Red Dice Diaries. Hey there, Rob. It's John here from the Red Dice Diaries. I'm just listening to your Carnage and Baromaze and Rogues Gallery episode. And I'm on the bit when you're talking about sort of parties of NPCs and, you know, you're quite right sort of trying to gen them up using traditional methods. If you come across them on a random table, like in the middle of a dungeon or a wilderness or whatever, can be a bit trying. But since you've mentioned um, that you're playing OSE, and obviously OSE is like a sort of a port of BX. I wondered if you'd tried the Old School Essentials Generators website. Uh, if you haven't, then if you just do a quick search for OSE Generators, it has a generator where you can just like do a click and you can do a basic or an expert part of adventurers with like a couple of clicks of your mouse and it gives you all the stats either in like a long form format or a short form format and i found that makes it a great deal easier when you come across random npcs in a game anyway dude i'm gonna get back to listening to the rest of the episode take care thanks for the uh, tip regarding those um generators john I was, I was aware of them i'd heard about them but i've never actually used them but uh they do look really really useful so they'll Go along, uh, go well alongside the meat shields generator for Barrow Maze, which is a generator for creating random hirelings, and um, and of course dungeons um, generators. And I know I've got a call in from Daniel of Bandits Keep, and he is a seems to be quite a fan from his YouTube videos of uh, of using dungeons generators to come up with flavor. So. Um, yeah, I mean, if I can get more more adventures where I'm generating more of my own information, my, my own uh, s- stories and, and, and twists and turns and dungeons and the like, these things would certainly come in really, really useful. And now for a whole slew of messages from the master himself, Jason of Nerd's RPG Variety Cast. Hey, Jason here. I don't want to engage in the social commentary idea that you should give freedoms up so the state can provide you security, because I think if we looked at human societies on whole, that probably turns out badly. Um, But I I don't really want to go into that, because I don't think RPG podcasts are a place to have political discussions. There are political podcasts to do that sort of thing. As far as the idea of taking games seriously... I think we need to go back and look at the Session Zero thing. And I think a podcast, you've probably listened to this, but if you haven't, one of Safer Fantasy Crafting's earlier podcasts, one of his early podcasts, he talks about this. Because when he was playing with his nephew and his nephew got smart with a king, his nephew's PC got smart with a king, and he chastised him, and, and he talks about the effects of that. By that, I don't mean the king chastised the PC. I mean, Safer chastised his nephew because he told him he was playing wrong, effectively, um, which is effectively what you're saying your players are doing. Or, I'm sorry, what you're effectively saying the theoretical players that do these things are doing. 
Um, so, I, but I think it comes back to that session zero and that social contract. If everybody agrees, we're going to play a serious game. Or we're going to take the world seriously and, and we're class and, you, you know, social stratas and all the stuff matters in this world. You know, we're, we're playing Game of Thrones, the role-playing game, and we're going to take it seriously. Then, or we're playing in Japan. You know, we're, we're going to play Bushido, but we're going to play it seriously. Or you're playing in Hindu in India with the caste system. Well, then that needs, you know, players agree to take it seriously. Then, yeah, you need to hold, hold their feet to the fire. You, you, you know, and but you have to realize not all players their personal experiences don't mirror that. Especially these days, you see less and less respect for authority and, and more and more desire for personal freedom, especially with, with, with youth and with younger folks. And I think maybe you see less of that as people... Well, I think there's a, a range, right? Because your really old might not care and, and your younger folks might not care, but your middle folk, middle-aged folks that are, you know, don't want to lose what they build up are maybe going to be more respectful of authority, right? But... But, but again, you need player buy-in to get what you're talking about. And, and I think that should be doable. And I think for certain games, it's not only doable, I think it's, it's right. I, I don't think you can play certain games if players aren't going to take those kind of things seriously. And so I don't think what you're asking is unrealistic for an RPG. But you need buy-in from all the players. So if the players don't agree to that, then you have a problem, right? And, and if players do agree to it, and then they you have a player that's not playing that way, you need to say, hey, listen, it's one of those tough conversations. We agreed to the social contract. You're not holding to it. Or, you know, the players can't get out. You know, when their players start mouthing off to the nobles, you arrest them and toss them in the jail. You know, toss them in the tower. And, you know, when they complain, hey, we had the social contract. You knew, you, you know, this is a world with a caste system, and, and you're not of a high enough cast to even look at that person. So, you know, why are you smart, smart enough to them? You know, if, if you enjoy playing in a world like that, where people are treated like chattel, then I guess, you know, it's totally appropriate. And, and I don't think that's wrong. I just don't think that fits in with the world that a lot of players are wanting to play in. So I hope maybe this, it doesn't really help a lot because I kind of agree with you that it's realistic and I and I just clarify that it's a social contract kind of thing and you have to have the players on board. But once they sign that piece of paper, you know, if and and then they get uppity with their superiors, then you toss them in the clink. It, it is what it is, right? Or maybe that samurai just cuts them down, you know, because they're not of the right class to be, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, those are kind of some of the baser parts of humanity that I don't know that we should want to represent in games, but if that's the kind of game people want to play, I don't think it's wrong to hold players to an agreement they agreed to when they signed that social contract during Session Zero. Um, hopefully that helps, and I will talk to you soon. Hey, I guess I should give you one last message, this is Jason, regards to... I might have come across a little bit hot on some of the other messages, sorry about that. I do think if a social contract is signed, to we're going to treat you know, rank and social structure seriously that should be held. And there are consequences if you smart off to a king. I refer you to the that wonderful film about the national hero of Spain, El Cid, 
with Charlton Heston, where he stands up to the king and then is banished for for that, you know. So, yeah, go watch El Cid and, yeah, keep up the great work. Looking forward to your next podcast. So thank you, Jason. Yeah, it's nice to put my uh, opinions in check a little bit there. I hope, actually, I, I did did mention in the in the original podcast episode when I was talking about murder hobos and the like that it was a matter of choice um, and it was important for everybody to agree on these things but you're quite right to to spell it out that not everybody wants to play in a world where um, the tyrants are 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 not only powerful but they're very difficult to to stand up to I think in many from what I can see a lot of players are happy to to play in worlds with tyrants but it's their job to immediately stand up to them and not only to stand up to them but but to defeat them without uh, a great deal of effort um, but I think through yeah thank you for the uh, film uh, suggestion I'll try and look it up I wonder if it's uh, on the Amazon Prime in Japan could well be I'll, I'll need to find out what it's called in in, in Japan. <laughs> anyway, cheers. So next up we have Andy of Grizzly Peaks. Hi, Menyon. Andy Goodman here of Expedition to the Grizzly Peaks. And it's I, it's been very ris- remiss of me not to send you any messages because you've been so kind and thoughtful and sent lots in to my podcast so I did want to send one back about two of the topics that you just recently talked about Um, one is describing the sounds and I guess I guess filling in all the sensory details that people need to feel like they are in the place that you wish them to be that you wish to transport them to and um, it's something that I'm learning to do better I don't think I did it very well at um when you know when I started when I came back to gaming uh four or five years ago it wasn't um instinctive and I think it's because you're so focused on all these other things like maybe and maybe it's because I came back and play, was playing D&D where you've got to be on top of a lot of things like the rules and the monster stats and the map and the location of the players and the distance that spells can can reach and all of this kind of stuff that sometimes you're you, you let the other stuff slide maybe you've got a picture in your head and you assume they'll have a picture in their head of the space and that's enough but and it was doing the actual plays that gave me this um, realisation, you know, listening back to my early ones, that I needed to put in more of that. And I really try hard now to describe the sounds, the sights, and the smells. The smells are something that Scott Dorwood has um, kind of put me onto, is that smell can be a really powerful thing to, to, uh, to put in place. Yeah, funnily enough, I... Myself also have a difficulty describing the scenes in a way that is, uh, you know, once concise and simple and, and doesn't break the flow of the adventure. It doesn't seem seem uh, overly contrived or kind of, uh, for want of a better term, kind of, you know, um, wankery. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, but 
um, rather you know helps people you know very gives little pointers as to to where they are what they're doing what things look like um, just enough to remind them that it's not all about dice rolls and character sheets and uh, any um, gizmos and gadgets that we might be using at the table virtual virtual or otherwise but um, you're quite right that when you pick up a new game when you come back to the hobby it's all really intense and full-on excuse me excuse the winder and I've um, I'm actually making a slight shift uh, at least one of my games I'm making a slight shift and, and trying something uh, quite new as I'll probably allude to later on and then your main point that you were really talking about which was chaotic evil characters it's very interesting I am very much in your camp um, it's it's chaotic selfish really isn't it and and chaotic um, chaotic solipsistic <laughs> and I've had players like that but sometimes somehow we've made it work other times it it's horrible so I think I think it's possible to integrate a chaotic um, character into a generally lawful group if we're talking D&D or, or in other contexts you know whatever in Call of Cthulhu a, um, a reckless character a totally reckless character who breaks social boundaries but it's difficult you have to have a very understanding group and you've got to be pretty friendly with each other by that I mean you really have to trust the player that's doing this that they're not doing it out of any kind of malice or just fuck you attitude um, that that they're doing it in a way to, to, to bring more fun to the game and it may derail it will derail what you're doing as a GM but that's okay I've learned to accept that that is okay um, and ones that break social boundaries well I'm not saying who but I've got a player who does that constantly and but they they bring a lot to the game and so I kind of allow them to do it but it does annoy me <laughs> and sometimes I do bring some consequences often I'll bring consequences if you want to play that way there's going to be consequences and that's all part of the game so go for it but you know what's coming again great stuff from Andy there and I, I agree with everything he says, pretty much. Uh, I'm not against evil characters. I just want them to be uh, fleshed out. And they need to be fleshed out in such a way that they are able to to work as a team. Uh, because role-playing, whether you're doing swords and sorcery, or whatever you're playing, it's not a, um, what individual um, pursuit. It's a, a group uh, pursuit, a group effort. So it doesn't always mesh with a lot of the the fantasy fiction that people um, are so fond of uh, but that's what it is you know um, so yeah you can be evil certainly um, and you can be selfish but I think it has to be done in a way that's not going to uh, end in some kind of uh, well ang angry recriminations of uh, that are then met with well that's what my character would do you know because that just doesn't wash it um, Anyway, though, yeah, um, there are always cons consequences as well. So, I think, as as 
excuse me uh, as jason mentioned jason mentioned earlier you need to to make it very clear uh, during the session zero that there are consequences to actions that if you're playing in a kind of world that is a at least as much as can be it is possible it, it, it imitates uh, a living world then the societies are living societies they they only uh, put up with um, the antisocials so far only when the antisocial elements are the ones in control if there are people from the out you know outliers and outlaws they tend to he- end up at the uh, you know dangling from a from a rope uh, from a tree well, anyway um, thank you so much for the call and the next up actually we've got uh, an unusual an unexpected to tell from the manticore himself hi Menian. I was inspired to record a little call-in after listening to your latest No Murder Hobos Need Apply. First off, I gotta say that I do enjoy the rambles through residential Kyoto. I used to live in Okayama and a few other cities in Japan too, and your show really takes me back in the best way, so thank you for that. Okay, let's talk about players who want to play evil characters. I can remember when there was no such thing as a session zero or lines or veils or anything like that. These ideas are useful, good ideas though, especially when you're playing with people you don't know well and that might have different gaming goals other than ourselves. I actually do get the appeal of playing a chaotic evil character though, and I I have played them in the past, mostly when I was new to the game and I really wanted to try everything. I remember when Dragon Magazine published the Anti-Paladin class back in 1980 something or other and I just had to play one. For a recent example of how a chaotic evil protagonist could work, consider the latest Joker movie. I think an evil party could work too, but only if the whole group is on board for a game like that. The problems begin when there's just one player who wants to go rogue. Justifying a rogue in a good aligned party is a whole other discussion, by the way. In the end, I think a good D&D game is like playing music in a group. The music only gets really good when the players realize that their main job is to make the other guys sound great. Cooperative play, in short. I'd imagine your player who wanted to play a chaotic evil halfling sorcerer is probably just very excited about D&D and wanting to flex his creative muscles. Nothing wrong with that. I don't know, maybe hand over the DM reins for your next campaign and they could try all these flavors and game balance wouldn't be upset. Anyway, I just wanted to say thank you so much for your podcast. Uh, I never miss an episode and I enjoy everyone. For the purpose of brevity, I'll, I'll be referring to you as Mr. Manticore. So thank you so much for the call-in. really appreciate that. Uh, I love your podcast and what you do. Um, if people haven't heard Tell of the Manticore, which is a, a kind of a actual play. Well, is it though? Uh, it's a kind of actual play where um, the DM, it's a solo play where the DM has several characters, runs them through various situations, locations, uh, and tries to make sense of the dice rolls and, and to turn that all into a story. So if you, as I said, if you've not heard it, check it out. It's great stuff. Uh, sorry, back to your message though. So I agree. Um, the anti-paladin was legendary at our at my first uh, D&D club. It wasn't mine, but yeah, the first D&D club I was a member of. And uh, later also was uh, Lou Pulsifer's Necromancer, which caused all sorts of uh, um, sorts of um, issues to that were already firmly implanted in 
AD&D to arise uh, to the surface. Uh, recently, actually, I got a I got a article. I guess it was a blog from Safer Fantasy Crafting. He sent me it on um, t- on Twitter, and it's very much about the the problems of of evil only character classes and how this all started with the introduction of the assassin. Actually, it wasn't the introduction because the assassin was in the old the old rules too, but. Um, the assassin as an evil aligned character rather than a, a a neutral character which was the original intent of the assassin that they were in most cases neutral rather than lawful or chaotic uh, I think there is always going to be an appeal and I guess as a GM you're quite right in saying that I'm pushing a certain uh, flavour or, or type of gameplay uh, onto the proceedings, and one way of 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 allowing more freedom is to certainly let let other people take the GM reins and uh, have them run other smaller games, perhaps, uh, um, or take over entirely as they see fit. Um, one of the benefits of that, especially for young uh, younger players or people who have more experience playing rather than GMing is that they can then see for themselves the, the difficulties uh, that arise when when players don't necessarily uh, engage with the fantasy world in a way that is you know, conducive to uh, extended play um, that sounds really controlling but yeah, there are all sorts of uh, difficulties, not least of which is scheduling. So I, I quite like the fact that some of the players have taken over uh, GMing because it means that they, they're the ones that have to do the scheduling. And all, all these little things, all these little things that people, players, take for granted actually take a great deal of time uh, and commitment. And so, yeah, um, passing over the, the mantle, as it were, allows everybody to see what is involved and I think it makes them more um, I think it makes them more considerate hopefully uh, when they return to being players themselves anyway uh, just some uh, quick thoughts thank you so much for your call in okay so next up is Taylor of Cleric's Wear Ringmail Hey Rob, this is Taylor from Clerics Wear Ringmail calling in about an interesting observation that you had in your last episode about the Japanese and their tendency to follow the rules even when there's no enforcement. Now where I live, that's totally on its head. Not only do people not follow the rules as soon as nobody's looking, but also we make these laws and then we don't enforce them. Uh, The easy one to think about is uh, speed limits. So the speed limit sign may say 100 km, but then people are going 130 before the police even turn an eye. So it's interesting to see that sort of difference uh, between, uh, I guess it's geography, it's personality, what have you, It's it's culture. And that got me thinking, like you then lead into the culture that the player 
comes from is going to influence how they roleplay the character regardless of the setting. So what do you do to promote engrossment in the milieu? So I've for I've had hit and miss and uh, typically I've found it's just whether I get lucky and I've got a player that kind of meshes with the game I want to roll but uh, there's got to be more to it than that. So you got me thinking what what can we do as referees or dungeon masters to make the world more engrossing and i love i love the nature walk sounds you should podcast from the road more often thanks so much there taylor um i hope this wind isn't uh, too uh too annoying to the listeners uh, the weather is changing so the spring is, is quickly shifting um it's well it's been really warm actually the past few days there's some rain coming uh, tomorrow so this is the again a, a change in the a change in the weather um what i talked about last time uh, i touched on these cultural differences and social differences um political differences and uh, as and as uh, excuse me not Andy but as Jason pointed out earlier um, you could be really careful and I understood it's dangerous to to make um, comments about politics and also uh, generalizations so I do hope people take what I said um, about uh, any one country as being a very rough generalization and certainly in this instance the Japanese people are quite capable of being uh, being ro- turning rogue and and uh, breaking the rules when people aren't looking and and you know breaking the speed limit of course you know uh, they're human beings like all of us and the more rules there are the more we often want to break them right so th- I wasn't uh, in any way trying to say that uh, um, there's anything special about any or wrong uh, about any one group of people just that there is a strong tendency at least here in Japan there's a strong tendency for people to to see uh, society as like a, an invisible an invisible uh, force that's watching you I think I refer to that it's called Sekken which is the, old, the modern word for society is Shakai but uh, Sekken is um, it's written as the world uh, between us, I guess. Is that right? I think it is. Uh, so it, it's kind of like the thing that binds us all together. Um, and so there's a sense that it, that there, not every, we aren't all individual, uh, discrete, uh, discrete individuals. I guess uh, that has a lot of uh, problematic. Um, ramifications I suppose conceptual ramifications because uh, how individual are we well uh, and how uh, how much should we be involved with society uh, or uh, as Jason points out you know how much freedom should we give away to uh, some kind of central authority or any authority um, I have no answers for these <laughs> questions um, but they are really interesting questions in real life and also in our games so um i also appreciate the your your, um turning things on their head a little bit and and pointing out how does our own personal uh cultural background influence 
our uh, appreciation or our game uh, play style. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure it must, right? I'm sure there's been very little study into that, as there's been very little study into role playing games in general. Um, I I really couldn't say, but I, if I haven't already referred to it, I, I do recall the the differences in in British uh, Dungeons and Dragons and role playing games that were starting to form form in the uh, early to mid 1980s and the style of uh, role playing that is particularly sort of embodied in Warhammer Fantasy role play and the campaign the, the enemy within which is totally grabbed from uh, the political situation of in Britain at that time um, so if we compare that very socially and economically uh, aware um, British role playing style that was looking at things that are happening in the in the scene uh, in British society and transposing that onto onto um, fantasy medieval kind of uh, faux medieval settings it gives us a very different feel from um, early 80s early 80s uh, US uh, TSR US uh, Dungeons and Dragons now I'm not going to say anyone any which one is better um, I really like the frontier style uh, sort of western style um, scenario uh, settings that you find in keep uh, keep on the borderlands and so on uh, it, it really appeals to me but there is definitely a, a different sense of what what money is about and and power uh, money and power lead to in the in the British uh, some of the British um, books as I say compared to the early uh, US role playing where um, there's a sense of money giving you freedom which is uh, I think it's difficult to deny um, but money giving you freedom and, and the ability to get, create your stronghold and and, and civilise uh, the, the wilderness and bring it under control it's, it's very very different from what we see in Warhammer Fantasy role plays the empire which is this terribly corrupt society that's that's slowly um uh falling away um collapsing from within at, at the same time as it's being attacked from without so yeah all really interesting ideas uh, anyway taylor very much appreciate the call and uh, next we have uh, daniel of bandits keep so take it away daniel hey there uh daniel from bandits keep calling in uh, about your episode about no murder hobos. Yeah, I agree with you. Well, on a lot of levels, the uh, the idea of adding that little extra flavor too, so people stay in the world about the birds and those things you were mentioning, I think that's super important. But also the idea that a player should think, um, you know, what, what did this character go through? Even if it's a one-shot, you know, before they got to this point, before they make that decision. Um, and I actually have a pretty standard rule that I do not allow any evil characters or chaotic in, in, uh, in the cases where there's only three alignments. Uh, pretty much for exactly that reason. I don't want tension in the group. 
and I feel like it can cause that. The only time I do allow it is if I run a strictly evil adventure, which is generally, every once in a while I'll do that and it'll be one shots. But uh, great episode. Well, great to hear from you there, Daniel. I've been watching um, Daniel's YouTube uh, pod, YouTube, YouTube podcast, I was going to say, YouTube channel recently. Um, and uh, it's wonderful to see how he takes games like uh, BX, D&D, uh, early D&D, and um, brings in Dungeon and uh, various generators to create his material. So I'll be watching a lot more of that uh, in days to come. Certainly, I, I want to, um, at some point, I really need to start producing my own material uh, not for general consumption I don't have any grand uh, any grand plans to do to, to do that but uh, just for the my own groups I think it would be really fun to to create a world have set the players loose in it and then from that feedback uh, produce more material that, that fits what they're doing uh, that that uh, that's something that really does interest me, and I, I have done so little of that. Most of the play that I do is um, pre-published material, which is uh, which is great, and uh, I will be doing a lot more of that. But uh, I do I do think there's something about that uh, that um, material that's produced for your own particular group and table something about that approach which is really satisfying um, and it's probably you know the, the, the perfect the perfect way to go really um, if you've got a, a steady group then I don't think you can create anything better than better than that uh, anyway thank you so much for your comments uh, I do have some thoughts on um, old school but I'm actually uh, actually got a project so it'll be a while before I start creating my own material because because well as you'll see in a few moments um, I'm gonna be cooking something a little bit more new school on the side well, in addition to the old school essentials campaign that I'm running in Bauru Maze I've uh, decided to start something a little different uh, in my other game, my, my home game. And what I'll be doing is running a horde of the Dragon Queen for 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons. Now hopefully that hasn't put off uh, anybody, any of my friends out there who are uh, old school fans. Um, but you might be wondering, why, why would I want to do that? Well, you know, uh, it's... Um, I think it's necessary for me to revisit 5th edition. Um, I want to look at it myself and uh, approach the, the system and the style, the, the adventures that have been published from uh, on my own terms uh, and look at them from my own, you know, uh, for myself. And um, why would I do that? Well, uh, partly I want to see how my home group will respond to that kind of uh, game. Um, 
and the feeling is that most of them are very positive actually about fifth edition and later editions uh, and that they would really like to play those systems perhaps over the old school systems but I, I think also that the as with the old school the, the new school also has its its problems or and its assumptions uh, for us to really un- understand the difference between um, first edition and fifth edition or you know bx tnd and uh third edition or whatever we really really need to to play those games and uh since lyle has been playing uh running a third 3.5 game for us a bunch of adventures for us um it seemed like a good time to at least explore fifth edition if not on if not uh if only for just a short time. So I'm initially going to uh, run one episode of Horde of the Dragon Queen. And if it goes down well, we'll continue playing. Uh, Ultimately, uh, why did I choose Horde of the Dragon Queen when it's faced such bad reviews and so on and so forth? Well, because I like Tiamat. (laughs) Um, So... Um, I really like Tiamat and I'm quite curious about the adventures that they have there and having read through them they're not as bad uh, railroads as they are rumoured to be there seems to be quite a lot of scope for uh, for people to go off the rails for people to go and explore things and and do things in their own manner Um, or at least as much as can be expected for you know um, a long um, game uh, a long um, adventure with uh, many different episodes so we'll try that out um, I'll be running Old School Essentials as normal twice a, twice a month and uh, I'll be running 5th edition uh, twice a month and have both of those things uh, going on at the same time so that should be really interesting and uh, hopefully quite rewarding um, will it will fifth edition become my go-to system? Who knows? You know, I, I really don't know enough about it to make any comment. Um, I didn't have a, a great um, initial exposure to it. Um, that is not to say that the adventures were bad or that the DMs were bad. Far from it. Uh, just that I didn't. I wasn't getting what I wanted from D&D and I, I think that's why I decided to start my own group up um, because you know if you if it's you're not seeing what you want you, you need to produce it yourself right well that's just uh, a few thoughts on what's coming up in my role-playing game life I have been doing a lot of reading <coughs> uh, fifth edition trying to suss out the rules and as as Darren, uh, not Darren, that's his brother. <laughs> Sorry, I've been playing with Darren for a while. Uh, Colin of the Spike Pit um, podcast has pointed out 5th edition is actually quite dangerous in many ways. Um, um, he, he's met, talked about how the fatigue rules can be quite, uh, can really wear down your party, can really be, be really uh, quite lethal. Uh, also, I noticed the suffocation rules are really lethal, um, and uh, damage. I mean, 
it appears that um, players are have way too many hit points and deal out way too much damage but again if you look at the monsters it's quite easy for uh, a monster or an opponent to deal out a death blow to a low level pc um, and for them not to get any saving throws versus death so i'm kind of i'm quite interested in finding out more about that this system um at the same time yeah i, I mean i do want to get back I, I do love my swords and wizardry and old school essentials and i do want to start um running things for those you know things that uh, we know um that are um very i suppose unique to the group uh, to myself and to the group which will mean developing a lot of the material ourselves but it's going to be a long time for that uh, before that we get to that stage anyway um, this is a kind of revised conclusion I've been working on this for about over a week now uh, this episode um, part of the problem is that it's, I find it very difficult to respond to people's call-ins the call-ins are often really good and the comments that I have um, are usually, uh, to me anyway, seem kind of irrelevant or, or, or uh, unnecessary. Uh, another thing, um, also, when I recorded, when I recorded uh, this concluding part before, uh, I was really worried that it would come off as quite dismissive about fifth edition, um, which isn't wouldn't, wasn't my intention at all. So. I deleted that and uh, this is what you get instead so yeah as always um, uh, thank you so much for listening I hope people um, don't feel um, uncomfortable with some of the comments that I make uh, or feel like I'm they're being disparaged uh, that's always a real concern uh, because uh, particularly in well, any kind of media, uh, but particularly the written media, when you're writing something off and you've got a limited number of characters, it's very easy to come off, uh, to be, well, not come off flippant, but to be flippant uh, and dismissive. Um, and it's hard sometimes to, to, to admit that you can be, you can be flippant and be, um, not over the moon about certain types of game or game style but at the same time be interested in them or or want to 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 be involved with them okay so there seems to be that difficulty of explaining people's own personal conflicts over issues people often see that everything is like black or white people are either for something or against something um, and that's when you know people look at a comment and and decide that you're in one camp or the other. And often, you know, many of us, I think, are uh, have much more conflicting ideas. Our 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 ideas, our our beliefs, are much more complex than than what can be crammed into a podcast or a book or. Uh, certainly into a tweet anyway I am wittering again so I will say goodbye and uh, well 
I look forward to next time, whenever that might be. This has been Confessions of a Wee Timur Spushi, your host, Minimum, signing out. Bye-bye.